This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I'm your host, Kara. And I'm your host, Tia. And due to a global pandemic... Um, no, just kidding. It's just a cold. We're all fine. Yeah. But actually, <laughs> the third fantastic human being who was supposed to be on the show with us today is feeling unwell. So it's just us. Which is super appropriate because it's International Women's Day when we're recording this, which means for one day, women rise up and overcome their patriarchal oppressors and we get all the money that we're owed and all the vacation that we're owed and don't have to pay taxes on period products anymore. And all of a sudden, all the statues of dudes in New York City are women, right? That's how this works. Yeah, we get to walk down the street freely without being catcalled. It's beautiful. God, the dream. I know. Um, But I I actually did want to just quickly mention that I think the particularly our our dudes on this show, um, are really good at uh, working hard to be good allies to women in comics. And so true. Yeah. A few things that we would like to call out to just, you know, if people are interested in thinking about how they could be better allies to women in comics, um, here's a handy list for you. Listen to women. Whoa. You know, that's an easy one, right? Whoa. Do women have things to say to you? You know, sometimes they do. <laughs> they do have things to say. And you may not have thought of them because, you know. Different perspectives. Yeah, exactly. Different experiences. Uh, related to this, you should believe women when they tell you things. Believe them? But Tia, what if they're lying to achieve nefarious ends because they're all witches? It's true. <laughs> when women <laughs> lie about uncomfortable things, it 100% benefits them and makes their lives better in every case. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Last, uh, last night, I double whammy read Harvey Weinstein um, survivor interviews and watched The Hunchback oh, of Notre Dame for no. the first time in a while. And oh, yo, that movie no. was basically made <laughs> for the Me Too moment. Yeah. Like, whoa. So I'm real in this zone right now. Okay. So here, here's the thing. A lot of, a lot of my men, friends, and loved ones, they sometimes can get a little uncomfortable. They feel like, you know, the things that I say are like I'm criticizing them or lumping them in with all men, hashtag whatever. Mm. Um, But I just want you to remember that if I'm telling you these uncomfortable things, it means that I trust you. And it by default means that I know you're not one of those people, right? So don't say the thing, because the minute you say the thing, it makes you one of those guys. Ooh, ooh, other point. If it makes you uncomfortable to be hearing about something, don't you think it would be uncomfortable for the person telling you to have experienced that thing that's making yeah. you uncomfortable to hear about? Who? It's, it's almost I, as though it's not about you. Whoa, whoa, I sound <laughs> condescending. Is this what it's like to be Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> I am so bitter this week. Hi, everybody. Welcome yes. to Comic Books. We will be talking about comic books, I promise. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, and if you want to do things that, that you know, can actively help women, you can use your privilege in spaces where they do not have that to amplify their voices. For example, if you're standing around with a group of dudes and they're being shitty towards women, maybe you could say something because it they obviously don't respect women. So if a woman tells them to shut the fuck up, they're not going to listen. But they would listen to you. So, you know, that's an opportunity where you could actually exercise your allyship is in places women do not have the ability to to speak up. It's just the little things, but they make such a big difference. It's true. 
Yeah. And finally, what's the most important thing on your list, Tia? Be willing to examine and change your own behavior. And, you know, I would say that this also applies to white women who consider themselves feminists because uh, women of color experience all of these things to a much more like difficult degree. And I think that white women in feminism need to be really conscientious of the ways that they have more privilege than other women. And, you know, just like, this is a good list for everybody. We're not just coming for the men. Yeah. It's like, you know, for anyone who saw Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, just be excellent to each other. Like, (laughs) especially party on dudes. Yeah. (laughs) So before we get in today's actual topic, we have a new zine and we have a new hangout coming on March 21st at 1 p.m. Eastern. Oh, no, I won't be able to make it because I have my first ever aerial performance that day. And you're going to smash it. Thank you. Because you've been super intense about it. There's (laughs) no other outcome. In fact, as soon as we're done recording, I'm leaving to go practice. Which involves a series of spins, flips, spins, splits, upside down stuff. All of this is happening in midair. Yes. I bet you're covered in bruises right now. (laughs) So covered in bruises. Anyway, (laughs) this does not have anything to do with our topic, which is actually, uh, if you have read a comic, a graphic novel, or a manga in another language, can you still follow what's going on if you are not fluent in that language? And I love this topic, and I suspect Kara does too. What gave you that impression? My background in working with comics and languages other than English? That's literally how we met. <laughs> so this is this this topic was basically custom made for me and Tia to discuss. So um, let's start with the basics. Tia, why would someone want to read a comic in a language they can't read? Well, besides just the appeal of something new and different, I think there's two main reasons why it's it's good to to try this once in a while. One is if you're trying to learn another language, it can be very helpful to engage with that language in ways that has um, like other things that are going to reinforce what's happening to help give you context clues and help you figure out the, the, the story and, and read, read along. And so obviously um, comics and graphic novels and manga are visual storytelling. So there's that to help you. And especially if you have already read that book in English, so you kind of already know what's going on, that's going to help you. It, it's really useful. Like I have all the Wictive in um, in French and my French is terrible. I, I used to be better, but um, you know, it like if I when I look at those, it does help. And I love to especially look for stuff where I'm like, how in the heck is this poor translator dealing with this? Oh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then the the other thing I think that is really useful is to help you actually hone your visual literacy. So pick a language where you don't have any context and pick a book you've never read and see how much you can glean from reading the imagery. Of course, you need to pick a good artist, but you know, they're they're out there. I was going to say, because that's also an exercise in seeing, okay, how much is the art 
carrying the story along or is the art just like a pretty background for the words you know right like some books and you can see this in in english if you can kind of like i don't know step back and like tune out all the words if if the book is majority like blocks of text with like static standing figures like that's fine but that's not necessarily conductive to you being able to follow the story of say you weren't fluent in english so it's also an interesting exercise i think to see uh how much um the artist's contributions to the work um are building up the the writer i guess like like for me listeners of the show will know it's very easy for me to kind of like I don't want to say ignore the art but like I'm very text focused when I read even when I read comics so for me reading something in a foreign language or looking at something in a language I don't understand at all makes me really really pay attention to the art in a way that I don't do with English speaking books and if the art it is um well executed it it is very much um proving the whole like well the writer's not the only person we should be crediting in comic books because actually (laughs) comics is a team team effort (laughs) yeah definitely you know it's just it exercises a different part of your brain and it it pushes you to just think in a different way and you have to exercise your 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 different brain muscles just like if you're exercising your like you know body exoskeletal exoskeletal we don't have those um, <laughs> you're like something you want to share with us too? are you really like an alien queen or something <laughs> i think marguerite bennett wrote that comic anyway <laughs> um we get a lot of training in school to read to to read text-based things and and work on our comprehension on our reading comprehension but we get very little visual literacy training as part of our day-to-day life or sort of standard education so you really have to seek it out and it can be difficult to to like you said Kara kind of turn off the text part of your brain that wants to take over because it's stronger and uh, this is a good way to just really give yourself no choice but to focus on the art and it's it's so sorry to carry this back to the hunchback of notre dame but i was i was (laughs) all roads lead to quasimodo listen so um so the youtuber Lindsay ellis has some really really thoughtful um video analysis essays that look at like disney movies and weirdly enough the transformers films as a way to discuss like visual language and like where stories come from and so the reason i watched the hunchback of notre dame is because of her video about it which was digging into kind of the history of the hunchback of notre dame like as a story and how that evolved and how all these visual cues um inspired the disney movie more so than victor hugo's original novel but also getting into how the original novel was written to call attention to the fact that Notre Dame was this beautiful historical edifice that was in great disrepair. And this was before we looked to historical preservation as a thing. And the novel was, um, there was like a quote in the novel saying, the book will destroy the edifice because, and that was like referencing how like the edifice of all these cathedrals was full of all these like sculptures and stories because pre- everyone being literate you really just had visual storytelling to go off of so like the average person could like walk up to like a church 
or like a really elaborate government building and there would be stories like literally carved into the edifice of those buildings so that you could share stories that the people in power wanted the commoners to be like really aware of. Um, but I kind of think of how, how you were saying, you know, we're taught to be like word literate in schools, but not necessarily visually literate. So I think like the average modern person is missing a lot of visual cues from these like pre-literacy um, works of art. And yeah, I mean, I used to teach this art history class, right? Cavemen to cathedrals and um, early Renaissance art also engages with this. Like it's basically like medieval and uh, early Renaissance art is pretty much just comic books. Like it literally. <laughs> and it's really interesting because they'll have these panels where there's like, you know, multiple scenes happening when to tell Bible stories or whatever. And it's just fascinating. Like you have to look really closely and you're like, oh, like I get it. I can follow like, you know, the person, the way, the way that they will put the people in relation to one another in terms of size and like all there's all sorts of little clues but you just have to slow down and look at them and kind of to pull it back to comic books um you know if you're reading a book in another language there's just you know you you don't have anything to fall back on and you have no choice but to figure it out from the art and i have to say in my experience maybe i've just been lucky to look at some really well done comics but I feel like I've I've mostly gotten it and uh so a book that I've talked about actually on the show I remember when I first read Heartbeat by Maria Yevit I think her I think that's how you say her name it's a double l and she's Spanish so it's Yevit right yes yes correct me if I'm wrong tweet me anyway (laughs) uh so I remember when I first read Heartbeat and I've actually talked about it on the show and I'm like I wish this book was in English so I can make everybody read it because I absolutely loved this book and now it is being released in English by uh Black Mask or Boom one of those um but I read it as a graphic novel and it's being released in chapters which is very frustrating for me but (laughs) um it's about this girl and she's kind of an outcast at her elite prep school where she attends because her mother is the maid for a very rich family whose children go there and she befriends or kind of becomes really obsessed with this weird boy who murders people and like oh i thought it was like a twilight thing going on but um there and because I was just reading the visuals and read, and then I like reading it in English, I actually am like, oh, so there's some subtle nuances here that actually changed the story a lot that I didn't pick up on. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm really like enjoying going back and looking for those things that I missed. So um, I'm kind of glad that that I had the English now to kind of compare it to so that I can sort of check my work in that way but it was so exhilarating to read to to like read the story and you kind of do have to sit back and really synthesize what you had just looked at to figure out the story it's really fun yeah and even if you don't get you know every single detail you still were able to follow the story enough to enjoy it and maybe even have to exercise some of your own creative storytelling abilities to choose to fill in some gaps. Yeah, you you practice your ability to read between the lines, which um, 
is something that I think uh, you have on your uh, list that you want to talk about. I, I, I see some doujinshi. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so, um, because of course uh, fan, fan works are often taking the spaces between canon and filling them in with their own ideas based on their synthesis of the of the canonical work or or sometimes they they throw it out the window and they go crazy but like the idea is that there are gaps in the canon that that fans can fill in with fanfic and doujinshi so take it away Kara. i just i could i could listen to you talk about comics all day tia like i really want to start a <laughs> campaign to give you like a tenured professorship at a university that will like let you just talk about this <laughs> I mean, so fun fact, when I was a grad student, I did TA for a professor who did this, uh, Rebecca Wanzo. You should definitely check out her work. She is incredible. Okay, so Dijinshi. So I first knew about Dijinshi as a concept through my like pre-social media internet exploration of Sailor Moon stuff, because I never really saw the Sailor Moon show but in middle school, I got really into the Sailor Moon manga, and that was at a point where it was like difficult to get a hold of the sort of rough translation English copies that were circulating. So it was like years between I got each volume, and I was like a teenager possessed. Like <laughs> I was like on, I was online on all these like, you know. HTML, the background is one color, the text is another color, everything is Times New Roman, there are flashing like like, digitized GIFs everywhere, like websites reading up about Sailor Moon, like anything I could get my hands on about Sailor Moon, I did. And that involved a lot of extensive um, eBay searches, because again, this is pre-social media, like this is like even I think pre-MySpace. So this was like, you had to wow. dig if you wanted to find stuff. Wow. <laughs> so a lot of my searching was like fan sites that I don't even, this is like Google was barely a thing. So I don't even remember how I found all these. I think I was shouted on, into the internet. <laughs> I think I was using like MSN search or something. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking you back. Um, and so eBay was actually a treasure trove of learning about Sailor Moon because a lot of people in Japan and in the States were like selling their Sailor Moon memorabilia like from the 90s because I didn't get into it until like the early 2000s. So there was like a five year gap between like people having accumulated the stuff and realizing that maybe other people would want to buy it. So I spent really probably an unreasonable amount of time looking at Sailor Moon listings on eBay and never actually buying anything. So um that's how I discovered Dijinshi because some people were selling Sailor Moon Dijinshi on eBay. And I was like, what is a Dijinshi? Like, what do you, there are more comics? I thought Naoko Takeuchi only did like 11 books. What is this? And it rapidly became apparent that they were all like not by Naoko Takeuchi. <laughs> and a lot of them were very, very shippy. And this was like pre me, like really understanding like shipping as a concept. This is like pre. Um, I think shipping really became like mainstream on the internet circa like that gap between Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. And this was like pre that. So I didn't really have the language to talk about it. I just knew that like all of a sudden there were all these books that were like Sailor Mars and Sailor Venus are in love now. And I was like, they what? 
<laughs> so did you buy these doujinshi? I did not, but I like because I didn't I was I didn't have any money to you. I was a teenager. <laughs> all my all my babysitting money was already going to travel because that's who I am as a person. So plus how would I have explained that to my parents? <laughs> like it's very apparent what a jinshi is as soon as you look at the cover of one. Right. Not to say that all jinshi are slash shippy, but a lot of them are. And um so this brings us to the time, um, and again, this may or may not have been appropriate, but a, a boss of mine actually gave me some Dijinshi from a trip to Japan, and they were like, you like this, right? Here, have some. And it was like a totally, like, like I don't think it was inappropriate because it was a genuine, like, here's a thing that you like, right? You're really vocal about this stuff, right? And I was like, yes, but should you be giving this to me? Like, none of it was pornographic, but it was these two Dijinshi that were purchased, like, in a Dijinshi-focused shop. Like, this is a semi-legitimized thing in Japan. And it was, like, Obi-Wan slash Anakin slash Vex, essentially, just illustrated. Mm -hmm. I do not read Japanese, y'all. So I'm flipping through these, and I am, like, starting to be like, I don't know how this is going. I don't read any of the dialogue. And then if you've read... Like, not even, like, a bare minimum of slash fix. If you've done, like, any kind of, like, romantic awareness whatsoever of the various tropes that you have in these kinds of situations, like, a few pages in, you're like, oh, oh, they're mad at each other? Oh, one of them's getting shoved up against the wall? Oh, like, they both look kind of intense and, like, maybe they shouldn't be doing this? And I'm like, aha, forbidden love, we got it. All right, now I can go on. <laughs> So, so do you think cues. that your do you think that your previous knowledge of the characters and just who they are as characters helped you figure that out? Like, did that come through in even though they're in this scenario that is obviously very far outside of their you know their canon? But did could you tell from the visuals that the author of this doujinshi had like preserved them as the characters that we know? Um, yes and no. And I equivocate because, um, the, the actors who played Obi-Wan and Anakin in the Star Wars prequels don't have chemistry together. And that's mostly because Hayden Christensen doesn't have chemistry with anyone, which is no, why it doesn't. first of all, <laughs> you try having chemistry with Natalie Portman, okay? It can't be done. I'm just saying... He's a he's like I'm sure he tried, but it just he didn't like he he just came off as like this petulant kid when yeah. talking to Obi Wan or That's, anyone. I I mean, look, I think that you and McGregor tried to play Obi Wan as like swashbuckling, swashbuckling, but also kind of like do good or Captain America kind of like I think you and McGregor should have let Obi Wan be kind of more of a trash boy. And he didn't. But and like, he didn't. And you could tell he was know. working so hard to hold it back and it just like felt wrong. So basically I I am not I'm not letting you put all of this on Hayden is what I'm saying. That's you know what? That's fair. That's that, that's fair. You're not wrong. So <laughs> so in so in this one Dijinshi, there's a lot of like, you know, there I, I think there was kind of the the dynamic where they're like kind of irritated with one another, but also like, you know, the 
I, I think it helped more that I had awareness of like the whole Jedi code where it's like you can't have personal attachments. Like again, I couldn't read the translation, but it seemed like they were going kind of that route. Like we shouldn't, but my feelings are so strong. Like that kind of thing where it's just like, you know, you're like, I'm reading it and I'm like, okay, all right. I get where we're going. We shouldn't be doing this, but we're going to do it anyway. And <laughs> you know what? It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> this is the I Love Star Wars podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know. I'm no, I'm like, you know what? I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. I still have a lot of feelings to work through after Rise of Skywalker. And if it comes out in me talking about Anakin and Obi-Wan Jinshi, which I don't. It's and it's interesting because I don't ship them, but like reading this fan work of someone who very clearly does ship them, I was kind of like, you know what? I see it. Thank you for sharing your passion for this passion with me. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite things to read in another language, although I did sort of cheat and read it translated into French, it was originally in Japanese as Death Co by Kanako Atsushi. And you know, I'm not. the biggest manga reader uh people who listen to the show regularly but this one is like so freaking weird and goth and amazing that i love it it. speaks to your little bit so much yes um and so yeah it's translated into french which i kind of read so i haven't actually read it in the original japanese but my french is also not so great that i get you know, all the details and the honestly, like, even if you don't read French either, the art in Death Co is so freaking cool. It's worth it just for that. Like what first made you kind of pay attention to the art in this book? So it's about like this assassin child and she lives in this like weird castle and like there's a scene where she orders pizza from a place called Pizza of the Dead and the pepperonis are shaped like skulls. Ah. <laughs> it's it's just like a, have you ever seen Haosu? I have not. I know Paul has because he just uh posted about it on Instagram. Um dearly departed Paul who was supposed to be with us today. Um uh. may he be feeling better soon. Uh, <laughs> but uh it's it's like a super trippy weird horror film japanese horror film and i feel like death go is in that genre where it's just like slightly surreal and bonkers but and then it it, like tarantino wishes he had thought Ah. of this but also like without all of the gross creepy misogynist tarantino shit happy international women's day yay (laughs) everything is better for only 24 hours yeah. <laughs> Tarantino has been locked in a basement for the duration of International Women's Day. Thank you and good night. No. We're not done yet. <laughs> honestly, we're I'm for cel- the rest of them. No, I'm just kidding. Honestly, I'm celebrating International Women's Day by lying in bed because I'm just so tired of it being an International Men's Day every other day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I um uh, I also intend on going out for junk food pancake i don't know like some kind of late afternoon brunch situation with with some of my favorite ladies later later so that sounds magical yes after i make myself sick oh the spinning no. the spinning <laughs> so much spinning no it's fine oh. um 
Yeah, you know, I I would also just say if you're looking for like let's can we give people like a short list of of books that we would recommend in other languages? Like Heartbeat and Death Co are my picks and then also if there are books that you love personally, uh there are publishers like Glenot who um work with a lot of your favorite image creators or Delcor, maybe Glenon said, I don't know. I don't know what all these imprints are, but Glenon and Delcor do are, are French publishers that um, with popular selling books will um, sometimes do translations. Uh, deals, yeah. Deals and translations. Panini um, is another one. If you're like more into the Italian, but yeah, they're out like pick your favorite book and, and I'm sure there's a translation. That's also like a, a way to ease into it. Yeah, I'm really obsessed with the work of Margot Motin. She's a, a French illustrator, and um, she has uh, a couple books. One of them was just um, published in English. It's called Plate Tectonics, and um, her her book. She like has a blog. She has an Instagram, and actually, I was surprised by how much. I don't know why I was surprised, but I was surprised by how much her art style has evolved since um, like the books that she just got published in English have actually been out in France for like a decade now. So looking at her Instagram versus what was just published in English, like her art style has changed a lot. Like her stuff that was um, published recently, um, like I love it because it's very like, you know, she draws they're like memoirs so she's drawing these stylized versions of like herself and her friends and everything is like really pretty and glamorous and she pays a lot of attention to like you know the shoes and the outfits that everyone are wearing and not in like a like look how sexy we are way but in like a look how sexy we are but we're also having like so much fun and we're not here to like objectify ourselves it's just we're like these really i I really want to like celebrate how much fun we have like going out together yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So a lot of that, and then her current style, which I see on Instagram, is a little less like look at our curves, and a little more just like, hey, like I'm a mom, like here's my kids, and like we're still like dressed wackily, but I've updated my style to be maybe like a little less um, Barbie, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so like that's that is an interesting, and like even if you don't understand French, like her Instagram is delightful, and she uh, regularly updates it with new like one panel. Um, comics that I think are really cute. Um, I am a huge fan. I'm so crushed that these books are not translated into English yet, but um, these, there's a French series called um, Mamette, and my favorite is the offshoot called Petit, uh, Petit Mamette, I think. Um, the artist, the creator's name is Nob. And the publisher is Glenat. And Mamet is this like adorable old lady who like just like lives in Paris and like goes out and feeds the pigeons and like goes to the bakery and buys her bread. And like all her little storylines are so friggin' wholesome. It makes my heart sing. And- <laughs> it sounds like there's a lot of slice of life in French comics, which if you want to be cool, you can call them Ben Desenet or BD <laughs> and then you sound very continental. <laughs> yeah, a lot more slice of life than we have here. I think a lot more 
um, fantasy and mystery, just like different, basically like anything except superheroes they have a lot of. Right. Um, and the format of a BD is usually like a 50 page. Yeah. And they come so, out with less frequency. Yearly. Yeah. The, yeah. Typically yearly. So like the the Mamet series I love, but the thing that like really just, oh my God, just all my heartstrings are being played upon is um, the Petite Mamet offshoot, which is Mamet, but as a little girl. And it's her growing up in the French countryside and the it's like for some for some reason that i'm like forgetting right now she can't be with her parents in the city she has to live with like her aunt and uncle in the countryside and this is still like like super rustic like early 20th century like maybe they don't have running water yet kind of situation so you're seeing her like kind of frolic through the countryside but then like you know reading the text there's like all this subtle allusions to like not everything really totally being great in the family so there's like all these layers of like this girl having this wonderful magical time um like living the simple life and meanwhile there's like stuff going on with like her mom and her aunt and i just like remember reading this comic and like casually bursting into tears because i couldn't deal with like how um like matter of fact and heartfelt all these like commonly felt family tensions were being portrayed in like a book for children like they weren't talk it's like an all ages comic and they're not talking down to their audience at all and i don't know i just think it's unusual to see that kind of storytelling in all ages material in the states and it's just like that's what's normal in france and so i get so mad that more of their stuff isn't translated into english for a wider audience because i'm like but your stuff is good like really good like we deserve more than just superhero stuff like superhero stuff is is like great and fine and it's whatever but like there's so much more to comic books than just capes and that's my soapbox for the day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I think that another really good genre of comic book that seems to be more common in French language is like artist biographies or like biographies of famous people. I read a beautiful biography of Nick Cave in French and... Uh-huh. It was just stunning. And there seem to be uh, publishers that do these whole series of biographies of famous artists or famous singers or whatever. And so that's another way where it's like kind of what we were talking about with the doujinshi or like you're already kind of familiar with who this person is and the kind of milestones of their life. And so by looking at the artwork very closely, you can sort of pace yourself and follow along, but also... um, you don't have the the text to fall back on and you really get to practice taking it in visually. And um, I think that, you know, obviously like creators lend their themselves well to this artistic method of storytelling, right? Because there's all sorts of fantastical things that you can do to visualize like, a musician, for example, like, what does music look like visually, stuff like that. I just think that these books are, are just so, the way that I like to put it is nutritious, right? Like, 
they're they're nutrient dense in terms of what you're getting out of the the experience of practicing visual literacy. No, I totally see what you're saying there. And I think part of that is because, um, as you mentioned, generally, French artists have more time to put into their books because the release schedule is very forgiving. It's like, (laughs) it's like you, you have the, the, the Japanese schedule, which is crazy because a lot of those manga chapters go out weekly. And then you have the American one, which is still kind of nuts because it's monthly, but there's more detail that's required. Well, in the manga too, don't they sometimes have like an assembly line where like your only job is to draw the hands and then like you pass it off to the person who draws the face or whatever. But that's like all you're doing for your like whole life and you're like underpaid and don't have um various protections and so forth and so yeah so it's like that's on one extreme of the spectrum america is like better but eh." and then france is like here's your advance take a year do it and you're like (laughs) okay (laughs) but you know like i've spoken to some french artists who kind of jump ship for the American market because it's not perfect. It's not perfect there either necessarily. And and there are very rigid ideas of what constitutes like publishable work and stuff like that. So, you know, pros and cons everywhere. You know what? That's true. That's true. I'll allow it. (laughs) (laughs) Any final thoughts on reading comics, graphic novels and manga in other languages? Um, you should all do it because it's good for you. <laughs> like Tia said, nutritious. No, it's, it's, you shouldn't let, I don't, I don't think you, you should, um, feel like a language barrier is going to prevent you from enjoying a story. And if you, especially if, if you're someone who really appreciates, um, the art form of comic books, you know, you, like, yeah, you might not get, every single nuance of what's happening if you don't understand the language but at least you can like sort of follow along and make the story your own and appreciate the art on the way yeah i agree i think that it's a really fun experience you know it's nutritious but also like it's a really fun experience and if especially if you feel like you want to be better about reading artwork it's a really really good way to do that and you're going to discover entire new uh, genres and creators that you never would have known about if you had just stuck to um american comics because the market in other countries is it's very different and it's you know you might not be able to travel the world especially right now but um it's a way to kind of get to immerse yourself briefly in other cultures and other places um before we wrap up i just thought of one more recommendation that is by a female french artist and has been translated into English and is perfect for International Women's Day because it's about awesome ladies. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> so the um, the the creator is Penelope Bajou and um, I, I really like her art style. It's um it's very it's very uh, accessible and like cute without being cutesy, I guess. Um, and she did. Um, a book that's all about like 
awesome ladies being awesome throughout history. And the Eng- <laughs> the English translation uh, title is called Brazen, Rebel Ladies Who Rock the World. Um, and I uh, highly recommend. March is, inter- is uh, Women's History Month, so what better time for picking up a uh, comic slash book with comic illustrations about cool ladies being cool than at this very moment in time. Perfect. All right. Well, folks, you can follow all of us on Twitter. I am at Portrait of Madame X. I'm at Karazam. And you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. We share comic news, art, sass, and more. The show and our many subscriber-only episodes are powered by fans like you on Patreon. And you can join now. Go to patreon.com slash IRCB Podcast. Yeah, our, our Patreon first Saga of Saga show is going on now. Uh, if you haven't already, please rate and review our show five stars, please, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us on Discord at ircbpodcast.com slash Discord. And, you know, tell your friends about the show. Maybe they'll join you on Discord. <laughs> Infinity Shred is the best. They do our music. And Xander is also the best. He is the wizard who edits the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, comics are good. And so are you. Bye.